Uh, Dan Wanshire, he's going to be reading Luke 10, 38 through 42. In honor of God's word, please stand. A little bit terrified, everyone. <laughs> Listen as I read. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so we're kind of in a little bit of a mini-series here, just a real short mini-series uh, over last week, this week, and next week, just some selected passages from, uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and as you heard, today's text is from chapter 10. And so maybe uh, it's helpful a little bit anyway to give you a snapshot of how the, book of, uh, how the Gospel of Luke unfolds. Uh, over the first eight, eight or so chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we find out uh, that Jesus really is the Messiah. There's, a, a, in a sense, a, a revealing that happens uh, over the course of those uh, eight, first eight or so chapters. And then the next chapters, uh, chapter 9 through 18, about, about 10 chapters, uh, it seems like the author, uh, Luke, shifts his focus, and, and it seems to be, how should we respond then? So if the first eight chapters tell us that Jesus is the Messiah, it's a revealing, uh, the next chapters then invite us into, like, what do you do about that? What, what do you do if that's actually true? So if Jesus really is the long-awaited Messiah, uh, we should follow him. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what Luke seems to be indicating. Uh, he also records uh, over the course of his gospel that many don't do that. Many reject uh, Jesus. But these, these 10 chapters, they're filled with accounts describing, describing what following Jesus looks like. And our text today uh, is in this section. It's, it's, it's uh, Luke chapter 10. So it's, it's in this section where we're being invited to consider how do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus if he is who he says he is, if he's the long-awaited Messiah, if he really is the Son of God in the flesh? What, how, how do you respond uh, to that? And, and Paul is giving, or Luke is giving us an aspect of following Jesus in just these, uh, these few verses here uh, towards the end of, at the end of chapter 10. Uh, and he's making the case in these verses that following Jesus is intensely personal, now, when, when we use the word personal, there's a whole bunch of things or triggers that may have jumped through your mind. And what I don't mean is the sense of like, that's my personal opinion or that's my personal property. Um, I, I don't mean that your relationship with Jesus is private. What, what, what I'm trying to say here is that it's between people, that, you're, uh, that following Jesus is a relationship. And Luke wants us to see that, and he uses this account, this interaction between two sisters and Jesus to, to help us grasp more deeply the reality that if you want to follow Jesus, if he is who he says he is, then what does it mean to follow him? Well, part of that is it's a relationship. So let's take a look at these, at these verses. Uh, I just mentioned it. There, there, there are two sisters that, are, uh, that we learn about uh, in these few verses. And uh, one's name is Martha, and one's name is Mary. Um, we don't know for sure who the oldest one is. 
Uh, there is an assumption that Martha is the older sister, um, and that's just because of uh, the order of things and, and her seeming to be maybe a little bit more in charge. Uh, but that might just be because it was at Martha's house. And so maybe Martha's the older sister. Uh, there's a number of scholars that think that, but we don't, we don't know. They're, we know they're sisters. And here's what we see in these verses. Martha welcomed Jesus. Mary sat at his feet. Martha worked to prepare a meal for Jesus. Mary listened to what he had to say. Uh, the, the phrase here in, in, in the Greek, it clarifies that she sat herself beside Jesus, that Mary did, that she sat herself beside Jesus. Uh, it's telling us that she was proactive, that, that Mary was the initiator. And, and just as, as a side note, it's not a small side note, but uh, I don't want you to miss the fact there's quite an affirmation that happens uh, in, in, these, in, these, in these verses, that here is Mary, obviously she is a woman, and she was seated at Jesus, who is a rabbi, at his feet. This is not normal. It's not normal. Women are not usually permitted to receive formal teaching from a rabbi. And Jesus is, is making a beautiful statement about the value of women. I mean, if you just think about what you just heard in these few verses, you have someone saying, woman, get back in the kitchen. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not, that's not what needs to happen here. And so there's a, there's a beautiful affirmation. If you, if you look at the surrounding verses, if you just back up a little bit into chapter 10, you'll, you'll see that Luke is, is working here to, to help us see that Jesus welcomes all people. Uh, the passage right before this is a passage uh, that, is, that we often refer to as you know, the, the Good Samaritan. And it's the story where, where Jesus uses ethnicity, uses race to just throw a curveball at the religious leaders. And he has this Samaritan uh, actually uh, um, functioning in a way that is super honorable, that is in line with God's good design. And so Jesus is, 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 is uh, turning all of the racial tensions and ethnicity, all, all that stuff on its head. And then here, in, in just a really uh, subtle way, but in a significant way, he's turning gender on its head. And he's saying, women are welcome here. Women, women come. And, and so there's this affirmation, this, this beautiful affirmation of the value uh, of, of women in a culture that, that, that struggled to do that. So Jesus is affirming women, but, but he is saying more than that. And as you think through these verses, uh, you, you know, it would be right to say, what, what is happening here? And why is this an important passage for Luke to have recorded? Well, well let me say, Luke is expecting us to use our brains here. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's not, you know, it, being on autopilot here is going to be unhelpful for us. It usually is unhelpful for us, but it'll be unhelpful for us uh, in, in these few verses here. Uh, because it would be very easy to read this passage and walk away vilifying serving, vilifying working or doing because of what Martha does in these few verses. It would be easy to come to that conclusion. But look closer. As you look through these verses, you do not have one sister who is ignoring work and one sister who is ignoring Jesus. You, 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 uh, verse 40, if you look at verse 40, it tells us that Mary has been working. When Martha comes to talk to Jesus, she says, Mary has left me to serve alone. So Mary was working, but she wrapped up her work. And she went over and initiated. She went over and sat down at Jesus' feet. 
And so both sisters had been working. When we look at these verses, working is not the problem. And then you ask, well, why do you think Martha is working? Why do you think she's working so hard? Well, because she wants to serve Jesus. But both of these sisters love Jesus. You, you see, Mary isn't anti-work, and Martha isn't anti-Jesus. Luke's point is that both sisters, Mary and Martha, are trying to intensely love and follow Jesus. But what Luke seems to be shining a light on is that only one of them could actually put their work down. Why? Why could only one of them put their work down? Because there is a huge difference in how they relate to Jesus. How can Mary stop? They are in the middle, apparently, they are in the middle of preparing a meal. How can she stop? How can she put her work down? Isn't there urgency? Doesn't, doesn't she need to keep, keep at it? How could she ever do that? Because at the center of her involvement with Jesus is a relationship. Mary could stop all of her doing because what she was really after was being with Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, Martha can't stop all of her doing. She can't stop even when Jesus is right in her house. Why? Because at the center of her involvement with Jesus, it appears to be activity. You see the difference? Martha's core is activity. Mary's core is relationship. Working is not the problem. It's what Martha thought about her work and her action. And don't miss that Martha is so confident about her take on this situation that she runs right to Jesus with the problem. Martha reads the situation and she sees Mary having bailed on her work to sit at the feet of Jesus and she is just 100% confident that she's got the right take. And so she goes over to Jesus. And if you see in verse 40, Martha, in the middle of verse 40, she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her to get going. Tell her to get off the floor. There is work to be done. She goes over and says, Jesus, I know you and I are going to be on the same page here. Help me out. It's interesting that as Martha interacts with Jesus, it's, she's convinced that, that Mary just, Mary's not a servant. She, she seems to even say that Mary is irresponsible. It's like, tell her to get going. Tell her to get off the floor and come do the real important thing. And boy, man, I, I can see where Martha's at. Uh, Jesus brought a group of people with him. Maybe it was just, you know, he was not by himself. Maybe it was the 12. Maybe it's more than the 12. Maybe it's less than the 12 disciples. We, we don't know exactly. But in verse 38, it says, as they were on their way. So this is not Jesus by himself. Jesus is bringing a group of people over to Martha's house for dinner. And somebody's got to make dinner, right? I mean, there's no DoorDash. 
there's no Costco pre-made meals that you just put in the oven and make it look like you made dinner. Um, it, it's a huge operation to make dinner. And again, we don't know the exact head count, but Jesus isn't by himself. And now Martha looks at the situation and she feels like she's trying to pull this dinner party off and her sister has stopped helping. So Martha goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, like, tell her to have a servant's heart. Would you tell her to care about this? Tell her to get back in the kitchen and help me out. Maybe you can relate with Martha too. You feel like other people are always dropping the ball. Maybe you look around and you feel like everything rests on you. If you don't do it, then who's going to do it? I'm the only one who's faithful around here. I'm the only one who actually gets anything done. Maybe these are, these are uh, things that run through your mind as you look at your situation or you look at your coworkers or you look at your family or you look at your friends or you look at your church. Maybe you could just say, Martha, man, she's just type A personality. Uh, she's, you know, go-getter. Maybe she was the firstborn, like the firstborn go-getter. She's an ENTJ on the personality test. She's an Enneagram 3 who is understandably annoyed with her more passive, quieter, reflective, reserved, relational, lazy, <laughs> irresponsible sister. Maybe you can relate to Martha. Well, let's look at what Jesus has to say. She's gone to Jesus and she's like, Jesus, surely you agree with me. I've been left out here all by myself. Well, as you come to verse 41, here's what Jesus says to Martha. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, you might not catch this. It'd be easy to miss. Uh, I wouldn't have caught it on my own either. But Jesus is responding with really deep emotion. Uh, in, in, in the Greek language, this is what is called a double vocative. When the, when the name is repeated twice, it's called a double vocative. And the, and the intention or the, the idea in the language is that it indicates intense emotion. That when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, that that's actually in, in, in that language, in that moment, in that culture, it's a way to indicate like this burdens my heart. Martha, this, this, this burdens me. Martha, this, this makes me sad. Martha, let me, let, me, let me share with you. Let me tell you something. You see, if you jump back to verse 40, Luke gives us his opinion. In verse 40, Luke says, Martha was distracted with much serving. But when you get to verse 41, you find out that that's Jesus' opinion too. That Jesus' response to this is, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled. You, you, are, you are stressed out. And what are you stressed out about? Jesus says many things. He doesn't say it's just dinner. He says you're, 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 you're anxious and you're troubled. You're stressed out like in life. Maybe you can relate to this part of Martha. You know that we live in a society right now. I just heard John Tyson talking about this recently, a pastor in New York City. But that we uh, statistically, and you can go look this up yourself, but that our nation is, is far more stressed out than almost any other nation in the world. The anxiety levels, the demand for, our, 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 uh, for, for trying to address that, and not just adults, but in, in all ages, 
There's something going on in our culture here in the United States of America that is resulting in a great deal of anxiety. Something is not working. Maybe you read the Traverse City ticker just this morning. And in the article just this morning, uh, it is an article that is sounding the alarm over the dramatic spike in mental health needs. And they're identifying those specifically between ages 12 and 18, saying that if, if you have a child in that range who needs some therapy, who needs some counseling, good luck. Everybody's booked. And, and they're, they're referencing spikes that are hard to imagine. During our prayer time this morning, a similar concern was raised, not in relation to that article, just as a reality of the situation in our region. That mental health and care for for those needs, we're, we're, we're drowning. And experts say it's a crisis. The article this morning is pointing to ages 12 through 18, but adults are not much different. The numbers for depression and suicide are spiking across our nation. Uh, A lot of people have talked about the fact that COVID uh, resulted in a decrease in life expectancy in 2020. And that's, that's pretty tragic. But do you know that when you count 2020, uh, the, the United States of America has had a reduction in life expectancy for four of the last six years? So yeah, COVID had a negative impact. But there were three out of five years before that that our nation had a lower, had a, uh, 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 a shrinking life expectancy. And you look and you say, well, how, how could that be? We have better end-of-life care than we've ever had? We have an extremely low infant mortality rate? How are, we, how are we ending up with a shrinking life expectancy? And you know what the answer is? Deaths of despair. That's the answer. Things like suicide in all ranges, all age ranges. It's seen a pretty dramatic increase in in men ages 25 to 50. I I heard a guy recently say that if you get liver cancer in your 70s, that's a disease. But if you get liver cancer in your 30s, that's still a disease, but it's actually a form of suicide. You're, You're drinking yourself to death. These are deaths of despair, and they're on the rise in our society. When Jesus looks at Martha and says, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, we're in a cultural moment where, like, look around the room. There's a lot of people, a lot of us in this room that are characterized by this, anxious and troubled about a lot of things, stressed out about a lot of things. When you read about this in in younger kids, it breaks your heart to hear the language that's, that's, that's being shared by young children in regard to stress levels and fear and anxiety. It, it's, it's a problem. And Jesus is, is looking at Martha and with, with great compassion, he's saying, Martha, th- this, this is a problem. You're anxious and you're troubled. You're stressed out about a lot of things. Martha's tied up in knots. A lot of people in our society are tied up in knots about all kinds of things. So many things cause us fear, cause us to be stressed out and anxious. Well, Jesus is offering a different way of interacting with the world. Instead of being caught up in many things, Jesus said not many things, one thing. Verse 42, 
One thing is necessary. What is the one thing? Aren't you curious? What's the magic pill? Let's, like, let's, let's invest in that. That, that stock's going to go through the roof. What, what's the magic wand? What's the, what's the switch? What is the thing that Jesus is pointing to? What is the one thing that is necessary? Well, it's not rest. It's not serving. It's not money. And it's not power. It's Jesus. It's actually not a what. It's a who. And I want you to see what Jesus says next. This is, this is so, so great. In verse 42, he starts off by saying, but one thing is necessary. And then he says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion. Now that word portion, you, you, you could say that that is kind of like psalm language. If you hop back to, the, to the, the, the largest book in the Bible, the 150 psalms that are collected kind of in the middle of the Old Testament, and if you were to, to work your way through those psalms, a number of different times you would run into the psalmist using this word portion. And, and here's just three of them. In Psalm 16, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 119, verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Psalm 142, 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So, so Jesus is, is, is kind of using this word that if you were a Jew in that first century, you would be super familiar with the Psalms. And you will be familiar of how the psalmist uses that word portion to, re- to uh, refer to the Lord. You know what Jesus means when he, when he says this to Martha? He's saying, Martha, you are so busy making me a meal, but Mary has chosen the better meal, the portion, the, the, the feast. Did, Mary has chosen the better meal. Martha, you're trying to make me a physical meal. Mary has sat down to eat the spiritual meal. Mary has sat down to receive from me. And a good question for us, do you have healthy rhythms of sitting at the feet of Jesus? In what ways do you receive from him? And listen, I, I've been learning a lot about this over the last couple months and just recently read a, read a book by Robert Mulholland about that what, what is it to sit with Jesus in the, in the scriptures? And boy, it's, it's, it's kind of disruptive for me, to be honest with you, because it's this invitation to take a posture where you're not trying to control him, where you actually sit down with the Bible and you say, God, what might you want to do to me? What might, what you, what might you want to show me about myself, about you, about the world, that there's this curiosity or this, this seeking that we have with the God of heaven. Robert Mulholland says, be careful that when you sit down with the Bible, you don't already eliminate all of the options that God might want to do with that passage of scripture. He says, having good theology is really important. Having doctrine is really important. But you know what we can do with that? We can take all of our doctrine and all of our theology, and sit down with a passage of Scripture and eliminate so much of what God might want to do with that passage of Scripture. 
so much of what God might want us to see about himself or about the world. Do you think you have him figured out? Do you think you have every, every T crossed and every I dotted? Do you unknowingly have God in a box? You know, Robert Mulholland actually suggests that a really good practice is to be in an environment where you are asked to consider a passage of the Bible that you didn't get to pick. Just another way in which you're losing control. Another way in which you are sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're saying, God, what might you want to do with this? You know, we, we actually believe that the Bible is a living word. You have space for that? You have, God, you have space for God to get at you from angles that you weren't expecting? Way too many of us might think we're sit, sitting at the feet of Jesus, but we've got him boxed in. We, we've already told him what he's allowed to be and not be. And Jesus says, Mary sat down and she's just receiving from me. She sat down and she's chosen the better portion. She's chosen the better meal. What, what, what are your rhythms of receiving from Jesus? And are they healthy? You know, one of the ways that this can happen is by doing it in community, not doing it by yourself. When you sit down with the scriptures and someone else, they're going to help you see things that might be blind spots for you. They're going to have maybe ideas or angles on that passage of scripture that you've never thought of. We also believe that the Spirit of God is at work to show us. We read it in our liturgy. God, search us. We don't want to come here trying to control you. And Mary has sat down to receive. Mary has sat down to eat the meal. And she's chosen the better meal. You know, Martha, you think that you need to do, like what you need to do is to prepare me a meal but you need to eat a meal. Not a physical bread, a spiritual bread, relationship. In one other psalm where the word portion shows up is in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Look, there's a very real way in which it is right for us to consider that the God of heaven is all-knowing. He is beyond our ability to comprehend. But in his grace and in his wisdom, he has chosen to figure out a way to reveal to us something of who he is, something of what he has done to bring us back to him, something about the work of, in person of Christ, something about the good news of his rescue. But you know that the Bible basically pitches this idea that for all of eternity, we're going to be learners. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the angels can't get enough of this gospel. They, they gaze upon it and they want to keep seeing more and more and more. Haven't they had long enough? Right? Don't you think they've been through Theology 101 and Theology 102 and Theology 103? And yet they can't get enough. You know, the, the, the vision of what is coming, the eternal kingdom, is not that we become all-knowing. The vision is that we are with God, and forever we will be learning who he is and seeing his glory in new and amazing ways. That there's always another corner, there's always another turn, there's always another fascination. We're never going to get our arms around him, never. And so whatever you think you've got right now, 
it's just a sliver. And it's beautiful and it's good, but it's just a sliver. And Jesus is saying to Martha, you've got to eat. Like, come sit here and receive this. You've got to be with me. Jesus is saying that getting Jesus is more more important than getting stuff done for Jesus. That Jesus doing something for you is far more important than you doing something for him. That is a needed correction for a lot of us. Do you believe that? Martha prayed for her sister to get her heart right. That's that's basically what she did. She went to Jesus and said, would you get my sister's heart right? And Jesus says, Martha, have you considered maybe, maybe your heart needs to get right? Have you considered whether or not you're interacting with me in the healthiest way? Doing isn't the problem. Doing, the Bible tells us in a bunch of different places, that doing is a natural overflow of a heart that's actually been made alive through faith. The Bible would go so far to say this. If you aren't doing, then you should be asking yourself some really hard questions. James says, if you, if you, have, if you say you have faith but you have no works, then guess what? Your faith is dead. There's passages in the Bible that tell us don't, don't grow weary in doing good. That your labor is not in vain. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you walk away from this passage and your conclusion is that doing is the problem, that working is the problem, then you misunderstand what Jesus is laying before Martha. Doing for Jesus is not the problem, but why you are doing can be the problem. And here's the beauty. If you get the order right, then you actually get both. A relationship with Jesus produces a heart that serves and follows him. But if you get the order wrong, you get neither. Because all of that serving, all of that working, all of that effort cannot produce a right relationship with God. You need Christ to do that. The gospel does not destroy effort. The gospel destroys earning We work for Jesus, but we are working from love, not for love. And if we get that order right, and we see the fruit of faith showing up in the works and the deeds of our life, that's God's good design. So this makes you a person who can pour your life out for Jesus and for the good of the world, but... Because you know that that is not what determines your relationship with God. You can actually put your work down. You can work really, really hard. And you can rest really, really peacefully. Martha was anxious about many things. Are you? What if you believe that because of Christ... The God of heaven loves you more than you can imagine. That the message of the gospel is that the problem that was so big that you could never solve it has been solved in Christ. And that Christ has won for you the smile of the God of heaven. Remember the double vocative in verse 41? Martha, Martha. Whatever your name is. Jesus is, he's using the double vocative with you. 
with incredible emotion, with incredible intensity. He wants you to see this. He wants you to taste this. Listen, if you're, if you're here and you're realizing that you relate to God the way that Martha did, do you see that Jesus is gently calling you away from an activity-based following into a relationship-based following? It is so easy to think that we have to perform for God, to get his smile, to get his love, instead of realizing that Jesus has already performed for us and he's won the smile of God. You don't actually need to do anything to be accepted by God. Jesus did it for you. It's not first about doing, it's about deep depending. It's about trusting that Jesus Christ really can bring you to God. Listen, the grace of God is rightly described as one-way free love. It's a scandal. A one-way free love. And when you look at verse 42, Jesus says only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better meal. And guess what? It can't be taken away. It cannot be taken away. This crazy scandal of the love of God poured out for us in Christ, once you've received it, it cannot be taken away. If your life looks like the Martha syndrome, where you relate to Jesus primarily via activity, I have good news for you. You can stop. You can stop trying to earn his one-way free love. It's free. You can't earn it anyway. He gives it freely. You can stop trying to help him. He doesn't need your help. You're the one who needs help. You can stop trying to give him a meal. He doesn't need fed. You're the one who needs fed. Just draw near. Receive from him. He invites you. And guess what happens? You become secure and confident. You become calm and eager. You become restful and diligent. Doing is a natural overflow of the new life that Jesus gives. But why are you doing? The message, of the, the message of the gospel is that we are working from love, not for love. And that changes everything. Listen, you can choose the better meal too. That's what Jesus' point is. Martha, Mary chose the better portion. Mary chose the better meal. Matt, she chose the better meal. You can choose it too. Come. Come to me. Come and sit at my feet. Come and hear from me. Come let me make you new. Come let me change you into the person that you were meant to be. Now, we here have the joy of being able to picture this very truth by observing the Lord's table. We right now are going to come to this table, and although it's just a little bite it is nowhere near satisfying. It's a very small piece of bread and just a few drops of juice. But we are given this. We are, we are invited to come to this table and to receive this bread and to receive this cup as a rehearsal of having received Christ. Of this recognition that this is the meal. This is the one necessary thing. So come. Come to the table. And if you're not a Christian, then as we receive this meal, we invite you to receive Christ. There, there are prayers in our bulletin, and they are in that bulletin every single week. And they are just meant as resources, as just some language to help you process maybe some of what you're wrestling with as you think about your relationship with Jesus. So you're invited. Come to this table. Run to this table. This is the better meal. This is the one necessary thing. Servers, please come.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this passage and for all the disruption that, that, it, that it brings and how easy it would be to, to kind of miss the point and to make service or effort or work the, the enemy. God, would you help us to see that, that Jesus is, 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 is showing us a, a better way? He's inviting us into a relationship. And yes, that relationship results in, in us being active for you in the world, of us thinking of creative ways to, to, to bless our communities and to, to bless other people. But God, we, we, we want this one, this one necessary thing, this one most important thing. We want to choose the better meal, the meal of, of Jesus himself, of receiving from him, of hearing from him. God, would you, would you give us a commitment to do it? God, would you give us a humility in that pursuit? Would you give us creativity and curiosity as we do it? God, we, we want to know you more than we know you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.